0: Man, I hope that the stories that we read from Scripture this morning about the resurrection of Christ and his subsequent appearances to his followers, I hope that that sends chills down your spine. I love that line, Why do you search for the living among the dead? He is not here, he has risen. Well, in the city of Hanover is a graveyard that's been closed for a number of years. It's called the Garden Churchyard. Because of its antiquated monuments and the fact of its being the final resting place for a number of celebrated characters, it awakens curiosity in people. A few paces east of the unassuming little church in the graveyard is a monument tottering from its foundation. It's built in the form of steps and the massive stones are secured by heavy iron clasps. And This monument was built in the year 1782. Beside the usual family inscriptions, at the base of the monument is engraved these arrogant lines. This sepulcher, purchased for all eternity, is not permitted to be opened. In spite of this proud proclamation, a small beech seed found its way into a crevice of the foundation. In the course of years, this seed grew into a strong, luxuriant tree and it mocked the proud inscription of the monument, raising the massive stones from the foundation and tearing off those strong iron clasps from the stones. This open grave reminds the visitor of the ever-changing nature of our earthly lives, and the fallacy of humanity's resolution to make plans that will last for all eternity. Those who were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion thought they were making plans that would last for all eternity. The oppressive powers of the empire, the prideful influence of the religious leaders, the rage of those needing a scapegoat who yelled, crucify him. All those individuals expected Jesus to stay in the grave for all eternity. But we know that the imperial government and religion and oppression and hatred and sin could not keep Jesus in the grave. Just as the angels at the tomb proclaimed, he is not here, he is risen. Now, I'm going to make kind of a weird confession. I really like cemeteries. Not in a morbid way. But I just find them fascinating. I enjoy the feeling of being surrounded by those who have passed on, their graves a tribute to and memory of their lives. And we can go and see graves of all the great men and women throughout history. When I was in Russia several years ago, I got to see the uh, Mausoleum of Vladimir Lenin. They weren't allowing visitors inside that day to see Lenin's preserved body, which, by the way, Russia pays millions of rubles per year to keep preserved. I like cemeteries, but even I find Lenin's preserved body a little bit creepy. But if you're a fan or admirer of someone who has passed on from Alexander Hamilton to Elvis to Emily Dickinson to Princess Diana, you can go and see their burial place. But we can't see the grave of Jesus because he only made a brief stay there and did not become a permanent resident. Think of a moment when someone you thought you may never see again stood before you. A moment when something you'd lost is found again and you can scarcely believe your eyes. Think of a moment when your fear was suddenly proved unfounded and you were surprised by joy. Friends, this morning is such a moment. We resign ourselves to the worst and suddenly life turns around. So come this Easter morning to be shaken from your conviction that nothing can change your situation. Come if you look at the world and feel overwhelmed by its chaos or disillusioned by its promises. This morning we remember how Mary went to anoint a corpse and was greeted by a Savior. Come prepared to see your life and the world through new eyes. For Christ is risen, he is risen indeed. I'd like to share a quote with you from noted screenwriter and novelist John Irving. Irving wrote, I find that Holy Week is draining. No matter how many times I have lived through his crucifixion, my anxiety about his resurrection is undiminished. I'm terrified that this year, it won't happen, that that year it didn't. Anyone can be sentimental about the nativity. Any fool can feel like a Christian at Christmas. But Easter is the main event. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you're not a believer. Do you ever feel anxiety during the Easter season? The first disciples certainly did. When Jesus was crucified and died on Friday afternoon, they didn't know what was coming next. I fear sometimes that we miss this sense of anxiety leading up to Easter, and that's why I'm thankful for things like Lent and Maundy Thursday and Good Friday services. We know the end of the story, but those original followers did not. And I think Irving captures the importance of the resurrection in his expression about the anxiety of Holy Week. If the resurrection never happened, then everything that we believe is believed in vain. If the resurrection never happened, I'm wasting my time standing in this pulpit every Sunday. That's why Easter is the main event. If Jesus is dead, we have no living guidance in our lives. You know, we put a lot of emphasis on Christmas time, and rightly so, because that was the coming of God to earth in human form. But it's easy to celebrate a newborn baby who was celebrated by angels and worshiped by shepherds and given gifts by wise men. But we don't get any of that at Easter. The events leading to Jesus' betrayal and abandonment and execution certainly don't make celebration easy. He's betrayed by one of his closest friends, falsely arrested, put through a sham trial, beaten to within an inch of his life by imperial police, and unjustly given the death penalty by the state. And it wasn't just the death penalty, it was the death penalty via crucifixion, arguably the most brutal method of execution ever devised. The crucifixion was so bad that a new word had to be invented to describe it. It's where we get the word excruciating, which literally means out of the cross. Kind of hard to get hyped up and joyful for that, right? But then, even upon the most incredible event in all of human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, the surrounding details don't seem to adequately convey what happened. Author Frederick Buechner wrote that he's always been struck by the unglamorous quality of Jesus' appearances after Resurrection Sunday. There were no angels in the sky singing choruses. There were no kings from afar coming to bear gifts. Jesus showed up in the most ordinary of circumstances. A private dinner, two people traveling down the road, a woman weeping over a lost loved one in a garden some fishermen working on a lake. The resurrected Christ didn't appear on the pinnacle of the temple, speaking with a loud voice declaring his resurrection. He didn't appear in the sky surrounded by legions of angel armies. He didn't appear to Pontius Pilate and say, you thought you washed your hands of me, huh? He didn't appear to the high priest and the Sanhedrin and say, I'm back. I mean, I don't know about you, But if I had just come back from the dead, I think I would make sure that everyone knew it, especially the people who were responsible for for unjustly putting me to death in the first place, right? But I'm not Jesus, and we're all better off for that. But isn't it curious that the birth of Jesus of Nazareth was announced and celebrated by angels and kings, while the resurrection appearances of Jesus were gentle, unassuming, unglamorous, And almost missed by so many? I mean, look at the first disciples. They didn't believe the story that the women brought of the empty tomb. The two people walking to Emmaus didn't recognize Jesus until he broke bread in their presence. Mary didn't recognize Jesus at first and thought she was talking to the gardener. When he appeared in the room where they were having dinner, they thought they were seeing a ghost. When Jesus shouted to Peter and the other fishermen from the shore, they didn't recognize him at first, and only recognized him after he duplicated the miracle of the huge catch of fish that he had performed in one of his first interactions with Peter. Why did all these people almost miss him? Because they weren't expecting to see him in those circumstances. They were sure that he was dead, and even if they allowed themselves to hope that he would rise from the dead, they certainly didn't expect him to reveal himself to weary travelers and mourning women and sweaty, smelly fishermen. But what's important to note about these appearances is that they weren't just for the personal edification of those who saw Jesus. It wasn't just to bolster the faith of Mary or Peter or John or Thomas. The veracity of the reports from these eyewitnesses of the resurrected Christ is the foundation for the entire Christian church. Indeed, the church would stand or fall based on how persuasive these original eyewitnesses would be for those who had not seen the physical resurrection of Jesus, including us today. And thankfully, they were believable in their accounts. But you know what made them believable? This group of fearful, misguided, often confused disciples became a powerful force for good. They preached Jesus and fed the hungry and tended the sick and aided the oppressed. They no longer hid. They no longer felt confused. They no longer sought political power and influence. They sought only to carry on the ministry of the resurrected Christ. Friends, the resurrected Christ is not hiding from us. He's not found in glitz and glamour or in self-righteousness and false piety or when you donate enough money or only in the right circumstances in your church sanctuary. He's not to be found in the made-for-TV proclamations of celebrity pastors or televangelists. He's not to be found in the judgmental consternation of religious folks who think they're blessed when they condemn others. If we're trying to find Jesus there, that is searching for the living among the dead. And life is not found in the dead, it is found in the living. Christ is found in the living of our lives for Him. The resurrected Christ meets us in the unglamorous circumstances of our everyday lives. He meets you when you celebrate, and He meets you when you mourn. He meets you in your friendships, and He meets you in your loneliness. He meets you in your work, and he meets you in your relaxation. He meets you in church on Sunday, and he meets you in your job on Monday. He meets you when you care for the oppressed and the marginalized, and he meets you when you are oppressed and marginalized. Whatever your circumstances this morning, Jesus meets you there. He comes to you right where you're sitting or standing or walking or driving, listening to this message, and he says, I am here with you, and I am here for you. But sometimes we get the idea that we can only encounter the risen Christ in the correct circumstances, at the correct times, in the correct places. Sometimes we get the idea that Jesus would only show up for the right kind of people, the people who make a big show of their religion, the politicians who are always talking about God, megachurch pastors with thousand-dollar shoes. Don't miss out on recognizing the presence of Jesus in your life just because you aren't expecting to see him show up in ordinary circumstances. But remember, the resurrected Jesus does not just come to us for our own personal edification. No, he comes to us so that we will share the glorious news of his resurrection with the world. Just as those first disciples did, just as they were witnesses of his resurrection, and they turned their lives toward carrying on Christ's ministry, so are Christians today called to carry on the ministry of the resurrected Christ. We are called to share the gospel, to feed the hungry, to tend the sick, and to aid the oppressed. The resurrection calls us to be beacons of justice and kindness and the love of Christ. Friends, Christ died for each and every one of us who are watching this worship service this morning. He died for each and every individual who is not watching this worship service this morning but Christ also lives for each and every one of us here and for each and every individual who's not here. We don't worship a God who's confined to a grave. We follow a risen Savior who is alive and working in our lives. And it's for that reason, in spite of the unglamorous appearances, that we proclaim, He is risen indeed. Please pray with me. Living God, who came to this world and entered human pain, come and be in every painful place in our lives. Be in every painful place in our world. Living God, who in the secret darkness rose from the grave, come and be in the secret and dark places of our lives. Be in every secret and dark place in our world. Living God, who sent the women to proclaim the resurrection to the frightened, imprisoned apostles, come and empower us in every frightened, imprisoned place in our lives, and empower all in every frightened, imprisoned place in our world. Living God, risen Son, come and make us your living church, your risen church, your Easter church in every place in our world. We pray this in the name of the Father, the Son